Uh, I want to thank you for your prayers while I was gone, uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, I want to put a pause on our series on relationship, which we're, relationships, which we're going to end next weekend by talking about probably the biggest issue we struggle with, and that is forgiveness. So be here next weekend as we end our series, and we talk about the importance of how to forgive others who sometimes hurt us in relationships. This weekend, though, I want to talk to you about what happened uh, to me in Vietnam and my experience there. What I learned, not so much about the church and the nation there, although I learned a lot, but what I actually learned about the church in America and where our nation is going. And so it's a very prophetic kind of message, and I think you're going to be challenged by it, but I also think you'll be greatly encouraged. So uh, I want you to take your Bibles out as we get started, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So take your Bibles out if you would, turn that passage of Scripture, and I I particularly want to start reading uh, at verse 14, these words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 5, and we'll start reading at verse 14. We're reading out of the New Living Translation, it's the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, keep going a few more books, you'll come to 2 Corinthians. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul was inspired to write these words. He says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we now know him. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, what's Paul saying to us in those verses? Let me just quickly break it down. In verse 14 of the passage, what Paul is trying to teach us and what he's showing us in this passage is that our motivation for living is Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the whole bottom line of why God left us here on earth was to now live for him as his children. Then it teaches us in verse 15 that not only is our motivation for living in Christ, but that Christ proved his love for us by sacrificially giving his life to gain our salvation. So why should I live for Christ? Because he proved his life for me, because he gave his life for me. Then again, in verse 15, it says that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Christ and his mission. So he's now charged me to carry out what he did on this earth. And what did Christ come to do? He came to seek and to save those who are lost. 
verses 16 through 17, Paul says that because of what Jesus did for us, we are now his new creation. That's how we ought to see ourselves as his followers. We are a brand new creation. Stop focusing so much on what we were, focusing on who we are now in Christ. Verse 18, Jesus invites us now to join him in his ministry of reconciling people to God. He, in fact, has made us his what? His ambassadors, right? That, you know, I may have a secular job. I may work in the church. doesn't matter what you do. Your job is your ministry, and that's where God wants you to be as ambassadors. Verse 20, it says, he's saying that through our witness, through you and I, through our life and through our words, God is pleading with men, women, and young people, pleading with them that they will turn their hearts and lives over to him and to his son. And finally, in chapter 6, Paul is telling us by God's grace, now, he says, now is the time when people need to be reconciled to God. The question for us as a church is, are we going to step up the plate and be God's reconcilers in the world? Or are we going to get consumed by the world's ways? Are we going to get consumed by the fear that the world has right now and the worries that our world has right now politically and economically? Are we going to retreat in fear or are we going to move forward in faith? Are we going to recoil and hunker down and grab everything in our life and hold it close to our vest? Or are we going to move out sacrificially and live in the flow of God's blessings? I want to say to you that the future in the United States, I believe, rests in the hands of the local church. We are the hope for the future of this nation because we have the answer for the needs of men and women and young people. The question is, Are we going to do our job? Are we going to point people to Christ? And while I was in Vietnam, I discovered a church that has been under persecution and and a church that has suffered so long under communism that has still and continues to have a burden and a passion for the 84 million people living in Vietnam who don't know Jesus yet. And I learned a lot about what we ought to be like by watching the way that they are. I want to share some of those things with you. The first thing I want to pass on to you uh, is an insight that I gained while I was there. And on my way back, I penned it down. And that is, I, I honestly believe that there is a spiritual awakening that is coming to Asia. And a whole lot of other people are writing about this as well. That there's a spiritual awakening coming to Asia. But there's a spiritual depression that seems to be encroaching the United States of America and the West. When I was uh, working on my message, I was flying on a 747 uh, from Hong Kong to San Francisco. We took off at one in the afternoon, and it was really white out, kind of like your shirts over there, right? It was just like really bright. And a few hours later, I looked out, and it was starting to get gray. And a couple more hours, it was, it was pitch black. It was night. And just that fast, I went from afternoon into evening as I moved toward the west. And I realized that it was a picture for me from God saying, my favor is beginning to shine upon the east. A people who have been suffering, who are crying out to me and looking to me. And my favor on the West, and particularly the United States, is leaving because I have been good to those people. I have been good to that nation, and the nation is rejecting me. And we are. We're turning our back against God. And what worries me is that while we're doing this, the church, believers, 
are indifferent about it. I mean, think about how our nation is turning away from God these days. Think about the rampant immorality that's become just a part of our culture. Just about, you know, just the way we are. I was in a communist nation for 12 days. I didn't see any sign of pornography. I didn't see any billboards, any magazines, anything that, when, that was in any way pornographic or, or where you had men or women dressed, you know, scantily. Didn't see that at all. But as soon as it got back to O'Hare, I mean, you can't miss it. As you come home on the freeway, it's all over the place. We swim in it. It was conspicuously absent in a communist country. I was doing some reading on the plane, and I came across an article in Time magazine. Maybe some of you saw it. What good is marriage? Do you know that 44% of Americans believe that marriage is becoming obsolete according to a Pew research? 44%. Do you know that every nation that has fallen and crumbled, do you know that one of the main reasons it fell and crumbled is because it began to have a disparaged look toward the family? It began to reject the concept of family and instead emphasized the concept of individualism? Without a strong family structure, a nation cannot survive. I was in a nation governed by communists, atheists, men and uh, women who have tried to uh, suppress the church and arrest pastors and put them in jail and find people for having Bibles. And I thought to myself, you know, how awful that government is. But then as I was coming home, I thought to myself, is our, is our own government, is our own nation any better? I mean, here we are and we allow abortion. One and a half million children who are killed every year. And most of us know that, but have gotten so used to that. Don't tell me that's not an affront to God. If you're here this weekend, and you've had an abortion as a woman, I want you to know that God loves you and God forgives you. I'm not here to condemn you. And I want you to know he cares deeply for you. A woman came up to me last service and said, I've had two abortions, Pastor, and I want to I thank you for reminding me of God's grace because I know I've been forgiven by God's grace. But I want you to remind everybody, it's still, it's, it's the wrong thing. It's not a right thing to do. And I know God can forgive and I know God can heal, but that I, I still have to say to you, abortion is a sin. It is a wrong thing to do. And then as I look at our nation and I read the scriptures and I read about prophecy in the Old Testament, we're going to be talking about that in January out of the book of Daniel, I'm reminded that God made a statement to Abraham when he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Every nation that has cursed Israel has crumbled and, and suffered as a result. I look at what we're doing right now politically as a government, our attitude, our attitude toward Israel, and I got to tell you what, folks, it makes me pretty nervous. I mean, I, I know they have their share of injustices they committed, but they are, I really believe, they are God's people and he has a plan for them. And I believe one of the reasons you, that God has been so patient with our country is because we've been friends to Israel, but I'm watching that attitude change. And it worries me because when you become an enemy or indifferent toward God's people, you will pay a price for that. God said, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. And so I see every reason why God is, is moving away from our nation and becoming intolerant of our misbehavior and our wrong attitudes toward him. And he's showing his grace toward the East. And what's really bizarre is that the East is beginning to embrace Christianity. And here's why they're embracing Christianity. This is an article written by a Chinese social scientist who was told to study the West 
in order to try to understand why the West, particularly the United States, has been so successful. Here's what he wrote. One of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion, Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. And one of the reasons why Vietnam and other Asian countries are opening up to Christianity and the church is they have seen the blessing that comes from nations that operate under the convictions of of the moral code of scripture. Now we as believers know that it's a side benefit. It's not why we follow Christ. But it certainly is a side benefit that comes that way. I'm watching our nation actually walk away from that. And embrace ways that are, are not going to help us. That are hurting us. I'm watching nations who have been totally secular saying. Wow it doesn't work. We're going to head toward what we've seen you do in the past. And embrace Christianity. Is that bizarre or not? We're walking away from it. We're walking into what hasn't worked. They're walking toward what has worked in this nation. Second principle that came to mind as I spent time over there is that when people genuinely repent and turn to God, He blesses them. I was in the central highlands of Vietnam and And I uh, met a pastor who is responsible for a minority group of people called the Jirai tribe. There are 300,000 Jirai in Vietnam. And in this particular province, there are 95,000. And the picture that I'm going to show you right now, he is the third man in from the left, kind of in the center there. He has a huge responsibility to oversee the churches in that region. And he shared with me, he said 70,000 of the 95,000 have already come to faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? He said, there's a revival amongst the Jirai people. And he said, Pastor, I need to tell you that we have whole villages and towns that have turned from sin. They've turned away from alcoholism and turned away from their gambling and turned away from immorality and, and turned away from gossip and judgmentalism and hatred and murder and theft and all those things. We have whole towns that are converted to Christ. And he said, miracles are taking place. We're subsistent farmers and our, our crops are, are just huge our, our, our vegetables are, are oversized and, and we have more than, than we could ever possibly hope for. Our jails are empty. Marriages are being healed. People physically are being healed. It's being documented. And, and other people are watching this and they live right next to these towns and nothing's happening in their lives. They're wondering what's going on over there and the people are pointing to Christ. You have communist officials in these towns who are so rattled by this whole thing, they're actually becoming Christians and attending the churches. You know something? Everybody's wondering, how are we going to get America back on track? 
How are we going to solve this economic crisis? How are we going to deal with the, the moral issues in our nation and the violence that's all around us? I want to stand here and be so bold as to tell you I know the answer. I know the answer. And that is return to the Word of God and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? That is the answer. I'm not being arrogant about it. I'm just being honest about it. It worked in the past. Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to God. But that's what worries me. The indifference of the American church. See, the hope of this nation rests in the church. It rests in you and I living in front of everybody else in such a way that God can work in our lives and bless us. So the world takes notice of us and says, what's going on there? What's taking place? Why are you being blessed? And we point to Jesus Christ. But instead, we're consumed with the world. We're following the ways of men. And it's not working and we're biting our nails too. These are the worst days for the ways of men, but they're the best days for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They really are. And that's where our hearts and that's where our minds need to be. You have to accept and own the fact we are the hope of this world. We're the hope right now of this nation. But we've got to step up to the plate. I also learned while I was there that Christ is raising up a new generation of leaders to lead his ministry of reconciliation. And it's a young generation. I want everybody in those white shirts over there, I want you guys to listen to me because this is really about you. I want to introduce you to two young men. I can't use the real names, so I'm going to call them David and Daniel. David is on the far right in the brown shirt. David is only 27 years old. He happened to get out of Vietnam and go to seminary in the Philippines. He's come back to South Vietnam. And his whole passion is to start a network of 30 brand new churches to reach the city that he lives in, a city of 10 million people with like 12 million scooters, all right? It's crazy there. And his whole goal is to start these 30 churches. And he's inviting a few key people to help him plant his four churches that he's working on right now. After a year of training, he'll deploy them and they'll create this network, this movement. And it's exciting. And he kept saying to me over and over again, but I'm only 27, but I'm only 27. Finally, I said, said, David, stop. I don't want to hear any more about you being 27. The Bible says, let no one despise or look down on your youth. I remember when I got into ministry, I was 22 years old, and I thought so young and so unworthy and so ignorant, and I was all those things. But you know, God says, I just need you to be available. God can take down giants with young people, like David, remember in the Bible? You and I have got to open the way and create the way, though, for them to be able to emerge as the future leaders of the church. And the the exciting thing for me is that the hope of this nation rests on a crop of young men and women that are coming up who I believe want to see change in this nation, who want to see change in morals, who want to live under God's governance. And a lot of them are here, part of the Compass Church, at 111th campus and right here. And I'm excited about what God is doing in their lives. I want to introduce you to one of his young apprentices, a young man by the name of Paul. And uh, that's not his real name, but I'm going to call him Paul. And uh, Paul is a brand new believer. He's only two years old in Christ. And he's from a tribe in North Vietnam bordering China. And uh, Paul came to the south to find work. And he met David who led him to faith. What we have found out since is that that tribe on the border of China is one of the world's unreached people groups, according to research. 
There are 120,000 that live there. And as far as we know, he's the first convert. And I hope the Compass Church is going to get behind him to send him back in two years to plant the first church in that region. Wouldn't that be exciting? This is, uh, yeah, this is Aquila and Priscilla. That's not their real names, all right? Those are biblical names I gave them. But they're from the United States. They were born in Vietnam. They immigrated here and have lived here for years, have very successful careers. And he gave up his company. She left her career as a respiratory therapist. They've moved back to Vietnam, Central and North Vietnam. Their whole goal in life is to network, network with the churches that exist there and the pastors and get them to work together to plant a whole crop of churches amongst the tribal groups and the Vietnamese. My prayer and our goal as the Compass Church is to come along the young man in the south and this couple to plant 50 churches in the next five years in Vietnam. You can support a church planting pastor's family for $300 a month. That's his living expenses, his training and resources he needs for his church. We want to do that for three years and then they should be self-sufficient. At the end of five years, we'll be able to say by God's grace that there are now 50 brand new churches and pastors flourishing and growing because we made an investment and I believe God wants to honor and bless that. I also learned that we take our privilege to worship God for granted. I attended service there one uh, last weekend. I went to 6.30 a.m. service. It's the only worship service this church has. It's a church of over a thousand people. Say, why on earth do they meet at 6.30 a.m.? I was wondering the same thing. It's because they have to make room for the senior service afterwards. And then for the Bible studies for the men and Bible studies for the women. On the particular day that we went, it was pouring rain. It's the rainy season and it was coming down as though there were buckets being hurled down. Just pouring down. In fact, we drove by this river that you'll see being played on the screen here. I took a video of it, very amateurish. But this river is collecting all the water coming down from the mountainside. It's a boiling cauldron of just, you know, chocolate water just dangerous. And I thought, man, keep this vehicle on the road. Do not slide down into that mess or I won't make it home for Thanksgiving. Right? And yet, and yet we're on our way to church. It's about 6.30 in the morning. I'm thinking to myself, with this kind of rain coming down, there's nobody going to show up to church because this has happened in Naperville. It'd just be me, myself, and I. <laughs> you know, when we started getting closer to the church, we saw men and women and young people walking in that pouring down rain with their umbrellas, with their rain slickers on. We saw people riding their bicycles, driving their scooters, And that morning, as you can see from this next picture, over a thousand people crammed into that tiny room and sang the praises of God. I couldn't preach that morning because the government authorities had been upset with me being there. I could just be part of the audience. And I just enjoyed the service. Across the street were a whole bunch of kids. And uh, I want to show you a kind of little video of them. Well, they're all going to be waving at you as you watch this. And I, got to cha- I had the chance to pass out a bunch of candy from the Compass Church to these kids who were just overjoyed. All this and all that sloppy weather. And I thought to myself, man, if this was back home, first of all, nobody comes to church at 6.30 in the morning. Secondly, if there's just a hint of bad weather, we all find a reason not to come. And I thought to myself, you know what? These people have been without the freedom of worship that they, they just... They don't take it for granted. Any opportunity they have, they're going to show up. It might be their last opportunity. And and we just take worship for granted. You know, the average American goes to church, uh, the average Christian American goes to church only about once a month. 
We call that regular attendance. God's not that important to us. There's sports. There's other activities. There's things to do. There's sleeping in. And you know what? If it gets too cold out, uh, we don't want to get in our warm cars and have to drive and maybe walk a few yards to get into the church building. Shame on us as Americans. God's not big enough and important enough for us to make a sacrifice to show up once a week just to walk in the doors and say, God, you matter enough to me that I'm going to show up to respect you and to honor you and to worship you and to hear from you. No wonder God can't bless us as a nation. No wonder God can't bless and use his church in America. 80% of churches are flat and they're declining, folks. We close more churches than we start in this nation. We are in a, in a dangerous place, a spiritual shadowlands. If we don't get our act together and we don't start saying, God, you matter and we're going to put you first. If the hope of this country is the church, then the church needs to get its act together, Right? And you and I can't be responsible for the other churches in this area, but we can be responsible for ourselves. And I say it's time to step up the plate. I also learned that God's heart is stimulated by faith that truly trusts in him. God's heart is stimulated by faith that really touches his heart. I want to introduce you to a couple that I met, pastor and his wife. I particularly want you to pay attention to this woman because she is a woman of incredible faith. She grew up in a family, I interviewed her, where her mother was a nominal believer at best and her father had nothing to do with the faith and nothing to do with her. She was basically raised by her older brother. She had a sister who was demon-possessed. And she was so overwhelmed as a, as, a, as a young woman that she tried to take her life. She was so emotionally overwhelmed and discouraged. She eventually, you know, God spared her. She survived that attempt. And she actually came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. And God began to stir powerfully in her life. And she just began to exercise pure faith in God. In 1994, she prayed for her demon-possessed sister and told me that as she prayed for her sister, she heard the demons speaking to each other and saying through the sister, we have to leave her, Christ has come into her. And I said, Is she now well? Is she now sane? And she says, yes, my sister is perfectly well. God answered the prayer. Well, she and her husband are responsible for 11 churches in their little area. His church that he oversees, the direct church, has 1,000 people. But he has to take care of all of the other 10 churches and their pastors. And economically, it's been tough. And they were trying to figure out, how do we meet our own needs? How do we meet the needs of our churches? So they decided they were going to buy pigs, raise pigs, and sell them and use that money to support the 11 churches. So they managed to take out a very risky loan. They bought the pigs. They built the pig pen. And this just happened earlier this year, around May. And about that time, a virus broke out in their province amongst the pigs. And pigs were dying right and left. Only about three kilometers from them is a 250-acre pig farm that was totally wiped out by the virus. No matter what the doctors did, the vets did, the government did, they could not stop the virus. And the first sign is that the pig's legs become paralyzed. They can't walk any longer. And then they end up dying. So she and he were so worried that they had you know, taken this risky loan, that they had their brand new batch of pigs, and, and it looked like you know, all the farms were being infected all around them. It looked like they were going to lose everything. All of a sudden, that older brother who'd been like a dad to her was killed in a car accident. A week after he died, her, their 13-year-old daughter was tragically killed. 
And I just thought to myself, wow, you talk about, you talk about suffering, you talk about burden. It was only a couple of weeks after their daughter died that they noticed one day that one of their pigs was unable to walk. Its hind legs were paralyzed. And now it, it was like Job, you know, now it was like, what else is going to happen in our lives? And this woman of faith walked out into the pig pen, she told me. She said, I couldn't lift the pig, it was too heavy. But I just laid my hand to the pig, and the translator's telling me this, and she's acting it out. She goes, I just laid my hand on the pig's shoulder and the pig's head. And I cried out to God, and I asked God if he would heal the pig for the sake of our ministry. One week later, the pig was walking. And none of the pigs were affected. In fact, something quite miraculous has happened on their farm. And in order for you to understand it, I took a little video of the pigs. So I just wanted you to kind of enjoy this for a moment. Couldn't bring the smell. That, is, that was Vietnamese, hello, Compass Church, all right? Uh, now, the reason I wanted to show that video, okay, and I don't know how much you know about pigs, I don't know a whole lot, but those pigs, this is their second batch, those pigs are only two and a half months old, okay? They are incredibly big for that age, and they are, are very healthy, and all the farmers around cannot figure out why this couple's pigs are like super pigs, And it's because of a woman's faith who dared to lay her hands on a pig, having lost her daughter, having lost her brother, not in bitterness, saying, God, you know, do something for us. Spare us. Spare the churches. Provide. And God has now touched that farm. The farm where, that pig, where those pigs are, the, the village where, that, where those pigs are, has been entirely converted, except for like five people, they told me. And you walk around there, and you just sense there's... There's a little bit of heaven there. God is doing something wonderful there. You know, most of us, when we go through trauma, we get really internalized. We get internally focused. And we start thinking about poor me and, you know, why is this happening to me? I looked at her and I said, how can you sit there and talk to me right now? With all that you've been through, the loss of your daughter, the loss of your brother and all this stuff. And she looked at me and she said, oh, God has given my husband and me a peace. See, my daughter belongs to God. My brother belongs to God. Those pigs belong to God. It's not about what God does with me. It's about what God wants to do through me to reach others. That's what we are all about. And I walked away so humbled by that. And I thought to myself, that's the place where all of us have to get. We've got to stop focusing on ourselves and focusing on our God and saying to our God, I'm only here temporarily, God, and then you're calling me home. And while I'm here, I need to be about what matters most to you and what matters most to God. What matters most to God is that lost people get reconciled with him. That's what the church in Vietnam is all about. The question is, is that what the church in America is going to be all about? If it's going to be, what has to happen? I want you to pull out this little card that you'll find ahead of you in the, in the chair pocket. And I have four challenges that I want to give to you. And I didn't have time to get all four on the card, so you're going to have to write in a couple of them, all right? Here are the challenges, all right? 
And by the way, if, if you're out of cards, the center rows, uh, if, you just, if I get our ushers to pass the cards down, that would be helpful. I'd appreciate you guys doing that, all right? So if you need uh, cards in center rows, just kind of raise your hand. Ushers will get them to you. But here are the four challenges that I believe will change the Compass Church and change our community. Number one, I want to challenge you to try your best to be obedient to God. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not. But I want to challenge you to try your best to be, to be obedient to God. That means that from now for the next 90 days, I'm trying to make it a set period. I want you to get really alone with God. I want you to say, God, God, what are the things in my life that are keeping you from being able to bless me and use me? As God begins to point out areas of compromise of sin in your life, young people, areas of compromise of sin in your life, whether it's moral, sexual, whether it's an issue with honesty, whether it's an issue with gossip or judgmentalism, I then want you to repent of that and, and say, God, I'm going to change my behavior and I'm going to behave the way you want me to. If you're willing to do that, under where it says hops and campus, would you just write, I will try to obey the next 90 days? Secondly, I want to challenge you to regularly attend worship for the next 90 days. Now, if you're out of town, I understand. If you're sick, I understand. Otherwise, I want to challenge you to be in this place, in this place for the next 90 days to say to God, God, you matter the most. And I I don't care what the weather's like, God, I'm going to show up because I want to honor you. If you're willing to do that, say, I'll be there the next 90 days. I'll do my best to be there the next 90 days. Thirdly, I want to challenge you to honor God with your finances. The Vietnamese people are the most sacrificial people I've ever met. Not one person stuck their hand out and asked for money. They all said, please pray for us. And they were so generous with me out of their poverty. And the food they shared with me, and the time they took with me, it, it humbled me. And I thought, man, I'm a stingy Dutchman. And I need to learn to be sacrificial. And I want to challenge you to get on board and be sacrificial so that the Compass Church can make a difference here, near, and far. If you are uh, willing to continue giving, check that. If you'll increase your giving, check that. You say, I already said I would grow a step in giving with you. A couple hundred of you did. Just leave them checked. If you're willing to continue to keep tithing, giving 10%, as God calls us to, check it. If you're willing to start to tithe for 90 days, test God. For 90 days, the Bible says in Malachi, God says, test me and see if I'll not open the gates of heaven, the doors of heaven, the windows, and pour out blessings. Would you be willing to try that for 90 days? Then we have some other information. And finally, share your faith and invite others to church. Here's a commitment. I'm asking you to take that Christmas card and I'm asking you to give it to somebody and invite them to join us this Christmas season. If you're willing to do that, fill the card out, fold it in half. When the offering plate comes by in a moment, I want you to stick it in the offering plate, okay? Now, it is like six minutes past. Are the bears playing at noon? Oh, well, then I'm okay, all right? Glad for that, all right? All right, it's six minutes past noon. We are a 60-minute church. We freak out when the pastor goes over 60 minutes. We start, you know, crawling out the doors, escaping from the side hatches, all right? I want to ask you to chill out for a moment, okay? I want to ask you to stay in here because we're not done worshiping. And I got one more story to tell you. And it comes to the Compass Church. It's about a little girl who came through our WANA program just recently. She was invited here by another little girl, another friend. And uh, the story, and I don't have all the details yet, but the story goes that she comes from a family that worships uh, a different God. And she learned John 3.16, went home and started quoting John 3.16, left and right, everywhere. John 3.16, John 3.16, quoting the whole verse, for God so loved the world. 
and then somebody in their family passed away. And she kept quoting that verse. Now, I don't have the story straight if it's the mother or the daughter, but the statement was made. I'm looking at Jeremy because I think it was your daughter that invited the little girl, right? was the mother. And the mother said that even though she didn't fully understand what the words meant, that it provided such comfort for her that she wanted to know more about it. Yes. In fact, more comfort for her than the God that their family was worshiping. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. That's a little girl who's gone away from one of our ministries to be a what? To be an evangelist, to be a reconciler. God is doing amazing things in and through the Compass Church. You don't want to miss out because I just feel like God is just waiting, just wanting to see, are we actually going to step up the plate? Are we actually going to really get serious with him? And then, folks, I'm telling you what, if we do, you and I have no idea the blessings that are going to start to flow around this place and the ministry that God is going to allow us and the changed lives that are going to be affected. I'm excited about it, aren't you? So let's worship Put those cards in, give your offering, and let's see what God's going to do. Father, we want to offer you our tithes and offerings right now. We want to call down your blessings upon your people as we get right with you, O oh God. I pray that you'll be able to use us and pour yourself out upon us and through us. Not for our sake, but for the sake of the lost world. In Jesus' name, amen.